Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Erica Suter. Erica has over 20 years of journalism experience and is a nationally recognized voice in parenting news and parenting advice. She's a frequent contributor on Good Morning America and other national broadcast outlets. It's her job to speak to parents across the country to stay on top of the issues, trends, and controversies that are most affecting new families today. With Sounds True, Erica has written a new book, and believe me, this book is beautifully written, informative, well-researched, and funny. It's called How to Have a Kid and a Life, a Survival Guide. Erica is a great sober resource who helps us have a realistic set of expectations on what comes with becoming a new parent and how to navigate so that you keep the integrity of your own soul right at the center of the experience. Here's my conversation with Erica Suter. Erica, in your new book, How to Have a Kid and a Life, you write about something that you call the parenting happiness gap. And I wanted to start there. What is this parenting happiness gap and how was it discovered? Right. Well, there's this research done of 22 countries, and they discovered that the parents in the U.S. were the least happy of all the parents <laughs> in all the countries that they um, interviewed. And so it's this idea that um, when we become parents, we're supposed to be fulfilled and happy, and it's supposed to complete us in a way that nothing else can. But in reality, for some people, it is actually a source of a lot of conflict, a lot of unhappiness, and a lot of stress. And so what they found that while the people they interviewed were grateful to have families, and they felt that this was an important thing to do with their lives, they were not on a daily basis very happy because of all the stress that being a parent entails or includes. Mm -hmm. Now, just to share with you and our listeners here, for those people who don't know me, and Erica, you and I are just getting to know each other, uh, I don't have any children and was never drawn to it. But what's interesting to me is that I'm on a leadership team with 
13 people and a couple of them are moms. And what I've heard really more so in the last like five to eight years with people I work with is women especially being willing to talk about this parenting happiness gap, this confusion of feelings, this whole group of feelings that they have, that it's not just one thing like, oh my God, I love being a mom. Why is it only in the last, you know, less than a decade, do you think that these conversations are surfacing? Well, I think that there has been historically a lot of um, there's there's expectation on how you're supposed to think of parenthood and how you're supposed to talk about parenthood. And if you talk about it in any kind of negative way, there's instant shame or guilt. You know, I remember when I became a parent and I was shocked by the experience. You know, I was never one of those children who played with baby dolls or dreamed of a wedding or played house. So my first child was actually the first diaper I'd ever changed. And I was so career driven up until that point, I found the transition to parenthood really hard. And I remember going out to dinner with, I was still on maternity leave, and I went out to dinner with my husband, his boss, and his the boss's wife. And um, she was like, how is new parenthood? And I was like, honestly, it is so hard. I can't believe people continue to do this. <laughs> I was like, I am really going crazy. I, I feel like I'm kind of, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm stressed out all the time. And, you know, and she kind of laughed and gave me some advice, but on the way home, my husband was like, Oh my God, that was so embarrassing. You know, like you, you sounded ungrateful and we should be so grateful that we have this, this baby. And, and I thought, you know, there's this instant shame because I was being honest because someone asked me a question and that's kind of how I've led my entire life with honesty. And, um, but there was this instant shame connected with, being honest about parenthood or, or the struggles or the hard times. So I think that in the last decade, things have evolved because we all have our own platforms, right? We can talk about our experiences and share our experiences to a larger audience from our home. And I think that emboldens people. And it also lets us know that other people are feeling the same way. You know, it used to be that we had to interact by going out and meeting people at a church group or or the playground or at work or something like that, you can actually interact with people all over the world um, in different, in online. And I think that emboldens people and makes people more willing to express themselves and share, share themselves because they know they're not alone. Now, you know, I'm gonna uh, read a quote uh, from the beginning of your book that once again is about this parenting happiness gap, because I have to be honest with you, it floored me. I read it out loud to my wife when I read it. A 2015 German study mm -hmm. found that being a parent actually creates more unhappiness than divorce, unemployment, or even the death of a spouse. Mm -hmm. And I think it was that last sentence that made me want to fall off my chair that I don't think I realized, honestly, that being a parent was that hard for people. Yeah. And so help me understand when you see something like the results from this German study, how you make sense of it. Well, I think it's an, an issue of expectation versus reality. 
to be perfectly honest. And I think that before, when we're, pl when we're planning to have children and we're thinking about having children, we're thinking about kind of the nuts and bolts of raising a family and getting all the supplies we need and, and having the perfect nursery. And, and you're thinking about all these kind of like really fun, uh, sweet, instances of what it's going to be like to raise a child. But when you actually have a child and you're living and working and raising a family, all these other realities come into place. You know, the U.S. makes it very difficult <laughs> to be a working parent. And, you know, we have, you know, we have poor maternity and maternity leaves. We have, you know, vacation time is scarce. The sick leave policies in a lot of places aren't adequate. We have unsubsidized health care. All of these things go into making being a parent um, much harder than any of us expect. Because again, when we are planning to have a family, we're not always thinking about who's going to take off if my kid gets the croup or gets sick or needs to go to the doctor. Like, how do I balance my um, time off? Do I have enough sick time or vacation time stored up? So all those things come into play when you talk about the reality of having a child. And I think that's what makes this parenting happiness gap so real. Mm -hmm. You talk about in how to have a kid and a life that part <laughs> of your goal was to help people have a realistic set of expectations for what it's going to be like. And you compare it to knowing that a speed bump is coming up ahead. And if you're unprepared, of course, the speed bump, you go, whoa, but if you're prepared, yeah. you know to slow down. And in, in that regard, help me understand what the key realities were that you wanted to help people know before they have a child or as they're in the process of starting their family. This is the speed bump you're going to have mm -hmm. to be aware of. I think that one of the things when, we, when we're prepping to have families is that we have to be aware of, of everything. And I think for a lot of us, we are not. You know, when we're told to kind of read books and blogs and articles about how to take care of a child, right? So we buy the best, you know, strollers. We buy the best car seats. We make sure we have bottle warmers and sterilizers, uh, all that kind of, all those kinds of things. We do take maternity leave if we're granted maternity leave, but we don't prepare for the transformation that happens to ourselves. And I, I think one of the things that's really important is that, you know, you have a newborn in your house, but that's not the only new person. When you become a mother or a parent, you also become a new person. And I think that we're not prepared enough for that. And we're not prepared enough for all of, you know, it's like a roller coaster. Lots of things change. Your career, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with friends who don't have kids. And those are things we don't talk about. And those are things we don't pre aren't prepared for. And so when those things hit us, we're kind of knocked, you know, the air is kind of knocked out of us um, and it can be hard to cope with. So that's what I wanted to provide conversation starter. I mean, I, I, in a lot of the chapters, I give you questions to ask, questions to ask your spouse, you know, the things like, what do they think about discipline? I found out a lot of parents I talked to, they never talked about what their discipline um, rules were, or how often grandparents would visit, or how involved grandparents would be, or even things like, will, will we allow sleepovers? I mean, there are arguments that start over these little kinds of things, and they're all kind of important considerations. You have to kind of know what to expect, <laughs> 
in order to kind of go more smoothly into the process. And so that's what I meant by the speed bump. Like you you have this, get this information so you know what's coming so that you can more, it, it was not going to be perfect, but that you can more smoothly maneuver into new parenthood. You, you introduced this interesting word, matrescence. I don't know if I'm saying it right, mm -hmm. but comparing becoming a new mom to mm -hmm. a biological whole body change like adolescence, but different for the mom experience. What was mm -hmm. matrescence like for you? So it was... You know, it's it's so funny. I've asked that question a million times and no one's ever asked me that. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, it was very hard, you know, because I didn't expect my, I know it's going to sound strange, but I didn't expect my personal life to change outside of having a kid. I thought my career would pick up where it was. I thought I'd still be able to do some of the, have some of those professional goals and personal goals that I had before. And it just, there wasn't the time and there wasn't the bandwidth for those things. So I then I also had to learn how to take, so there, there, there was that part of Metrescence, which was learning that, you know, my life wasn't what it used to be, but then also learning how to take care of someone else and understand that human's needs, right? You know, I hadn't been around a lot of babies and, um, and I found it really hard at first. And it was just a learning process the whole way. And I guess I didn't think, I thought I was more prepared than I was. And so for me, my trustance meant this um, learning how to accept the new me along with my new baby and then grow into the person I needed to be for both of us. Now, Erica, you're a very successful journalist, writer, having worked on the staff of People Magazine, other publications. You're the parenting expert for Good Morning America. And here you make the decision, you're going to write a book, How to Have a Kid and a Life, after you now have two children of your own. Why did you decide that you wanted to do this? This is so important. I want to do it. And then how did you go about it? Well, the seeds for this were set um, years before I actually decided to write the book. Uh, I had written an article when I was an editor at Cafe Mom, and it was entitled, um, Is Discovery of a Mom Gene the Reason Some of Us Don't Crave Having Kids? And I was fascinated by this discovery. These researchers at Rockefeller University had found this gene in mice that also women, uh, human women have. And when this gene was suppressed, these mice were not nurturing. Um, they did not um, show the same kind of maternal instinct that other mice did who had the gene actually activated. And so I thought, this is really interesting. Could this be why some of us find motherhood a little harder or it doesn't come as natural? And so I wrote about it. And the reaction I got was amazing. I mean, people wrote in to me saying, you know, I feel the same way. I've never really been able to express it. I've always wondered if I had the mom gene. And that's that's what set the seeds for this book. That's when I knew that there were topics that we weren't really addressing that were really important for women and people who are thinking about motherhood or people who are already mothers. And so um, 
while I was at, you know, Cafe Mom and, and working on those stories and was was a really wonderful place to work and, and meet a lot of women and mothers and, and really dive into the whole motherhood experience. But I decided to take a step back and work part time so that I could interview moms across the country and experts and therapists and attend mommy meetups and mom conventions and go to the Museum of Motherhood and <laughs> all of these things so that I could really kind of dive into this topic and figure out what this book was going to be. So it was really like the book developed as I interviewed and met with mothers across the country. What surprised you the most about the 125 formal interviews you conducted, plus all the mom meetups you went to? What surprised you the most? I think what surprised me the most was that so many women didn't have the support network that they craved. Now, some had, so what I mean by that is that a lot of women had mom friends or people who were there to help them, but they still felt alone and kind of struggling. And so that's, I also spent a chapter focusing on finding the right kind of support. You know, it's, it's kind of like, just because your womb was occupied at the same time as another woman, doesn't mean you guys are gonna be besties. <laughs> You know, there's a lot more that goes into making a real connection and a profound connection than just having a kid around the same age. So I think for me, it was kind of sad to meet so many women who um, still felt so alone or lonely. And that that was really surprising. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that it was this question of, is there something called the mom gene? And do certain mm -hmm. women have it? And certain women like me, maybe. Uh, me being Tammy, but me also being Erica, and maybe other people who are listening not have the mom gene. And what, as you dug into this, where are you at with this? Is there such a thing as the mom gene? Is this a genetic reality? You know, I honestly, I you know, at first I wanted to believe that the mom gene was 100% the answer I was looking for, that if you can figure out how to activate this gene, you're going to create one kid, you're going to be the most nurturing person in the world, and that this is going to make motherhood easier. But the fact is, is that motherhood, parenthood, is just much more nuanced than that. There are so many other factors beyond biology, because when I talk to parents who didn't have biological children, they have adopted children, or they're taking care of children that family members could not take care of. Some of these same issues still came into place. So there, no, I do not think that there is, I, I, I yes, the science, I think it's really interesting. There may be something that the scientists label a mom chain, but is it something that determines whether or not you'll be a good mom? No, or a good parent? No. Um, because I think our experiences are so much more nuanced. What I found that I, what I found was that how you were raised, um, your belief system, where you live, um, how you communicate with your spouse, what you, what kind of work you do, all of those play a part in how difficult or easy motherhood can be. Now, Erica, what I found in reading your book is that not only are you a terrific writer and journalist, but you're also really like, oh my God, I'm going to laugh out loud funny. And I want our listeners to get a sense of the writing that's inside How to Have a Kid and a Life. And there's a chapter in the book called, Not Every Woman Has the Mom Gene, What to Really <laughs> Expect. 
being maternal may not come as naturally as you expect. And I know you're, you're not prepared for this, but uh, if you could turn to page 152 okay. and uh, just start reading at the second paragraph and all the way down to the bottom of the page. Uh, the not, starting with not surprisingly? Yes. Okay. Not surprisingly, breastfeeding is another emotional touchstone. In the moments leading up to every feeding of Aiden, my second child, I swear I heard the theme music from Psycho, knowing that my poor nipple would be gnawed to within an inch of its existence. It's supposed to be that the most natural thing a woman can do, but studies suggest many women struggle with it. According to a study that included 1,011 mother newborn pairs, about 85% of pregnant women intend to breastfeed for at least three months, but only a third actually make it that long. New moms quit for several reasons, including worrying the baby is not getting enough to eat, going back to work, and difficulty even getting the baby to latch. It's hard not to think, I'm a failure. I'm terrible at this. Part of the problem is that women feel they cannot express how shitty the experience is without looking like a bad mom. It's a dilemma many relate to. Becoming a mother made me feel like I was a passenger on that carnival ride that spins so fast the gravitational force keeps you stuck to the wall. I was scared and uncertain of how I would feel from one moment to the next. And there was an all-consuming anxiety that I was never doing anything well, not mothering, not marriage, and certainly not work. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you can just keep reading this book. It goes down so smoothly. And then on the next page, you write, perhaps the most important lesson you can take away from this book is that love is innate. Parenting skills are not. They are learned. And of course, any sentence that begins, perhaps the most important lesson you can take away from this book has my attention. Parenting skills are learned. What do you feel after all the interviews you did, and of course, your own life as the mother for two children, are the most important parenting skills that people need to pay attention to, the skills they need to learn? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, I have a manifold answer. Like I, I feel like number one is being patient with your child and with yourself. There are so many times um, we're frustrated or we feel like something's not going right and we don't know how to fix it. But what we have to do is take a step back and breathe and know that no one is perfect. Everyone is struggling with this. And I found that so many mothers didn't see that. It was hard for them to see other people who were struggling with the same thing. It's because we often hide that from other people, right? So I, I, I want mothers to give themselves a little grace and be patient with themselves and their children. And I think that the other really important thing is that it's okay not to love life 100% of the time. It's okay not to love being a parent 100% of the time. And I think that's been a big problem for a, a lot of moms. They feel so guilty when they aren't happy with how things are going or they're disappointed in how things are going. And But that's okay too, because life isn't perfect and we all make mistakes. Even people who seem like they're the perfect parent with the perfect family, the perfect life. You know, I've been in their homes and I've talked to them and it's not perfect, I'm telling you that. <laughs> So it's it's really understanding that you're not alone 
as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. So of course, talking to someone who's conducted 125 interviews, we have these fantasies about people, but you got in there and people told you, told you the real story. You have an insider's look in a certain way. Yeah. And I think that like, and that's, that's really like, I think social media, you know, we're, we're in the age of social media, right? And so we look at things, uh, it, we think it's reality, but it's not. It's very surface. And we have to remember that when we're seeing other people and other moms, one of the biggest things that I found, I think that moms do on a daily basis is compare themselves to other moms, right? You know, so-and-so always looks so together or so-and-so's kids are so well-behaved and mine are not, or so-and-so's husband um, takes her on these trips and I don't get to go. You know, there are all these things that we're comparing ourselves to. And in reality, every single family I talked to had something going on that they were uncomfortable sharing with the world, right? They, or things that they were struggling with or things that were really hard for them. And I think that's probably... Actually, that's probably one of the, one of the most important lessons that uh, a new a new parent or a parent in general can have is to understand that everyone is struggling. Everyone has struggles when it comes to parenting, and that we have to learn every day from when we make mistakes or things go wrong or when things go right. We have to learn how to parent based on those experiences, and it's okay. We we don't have to have the answers right away. We can learn as we go along. Yeah, there were a lot of insights that I got from your book how to have a kid and a life. And also, you know, just to say in the title, it means it can be done, right? Are you having, you're having two kids and a life. It can be done. It can be done. It actually can be, but you also notice the stork is dropping a bomb, right? <laughs> That's on the cover of the book. In the, word, the, cover how, of the, book yes. the 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 O is a, is a little uh, grenade little about bomb. to yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It, it is possible, but it takes work. And that's what one of the things I, you know, in, in every book, I have a, a new a new to do list. Right. It's not that you're, you're, it doesn't miraculously happen. Everything takes work. So you want to have a kid, you want to have a life, you want to feel more fulfilled. I'm a big advocate in putting yourself back on top of your to do list. You know, I think that oftentimes parenthood can leave us feeling swallowed up whole, like everything that used to make us who we were is just gone now, right? Because we don't have time to focus on those things. But all the research that I found, all the experts I talked to, the you know, the scientists, the social workers, the therapists, all of them, what I learned was that if you don't focus on your own happiness, it has profound effect on your children, right? Happy parents have happy children. It is a very simple statement, and it's absolutely true. You know, so one of the things I learned when I was interviewing uh, moms, when, you know, they were very unhappy and they felt like, well, it's not about me, it's about my kids. And, but their kids saw how unhappy they were. They saw how um, just burned out that they were. And I think a lot of parents think that that doesn't affect their kids, but it does. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to advocate having a kid and a life, but it takes work to have that life. You have to do things to put your needs in line or parallel to the, the needs of the rest of your family. It, it seems like it's fair to say you have to not take on the martyr archetype, that the martyr is not going to get you to a kid and a life. No. Being a martyr is only going to make you burn you out and make you resentful, right? 
you have to do things like, you know, I asked a simple question, like, do you have any hobbies that have nothing to do with your children? You know, do you have any interests that you can focus on that aren't parent related? Do you still connect socially with people in a non-parenting type situation? You know, do you have something that you love doing for yourself? It could be taking a pottery class. It could be bowling. I mean, these are not, I'm not saying you have to climb um, Mount Everest, (laughs) although I would love to do that. But I'm not saying you have to do that to be fulfilled, but you have to do something for yourself that's apart from being a mom to help you feel more fulfilled. I mean, that's what I learned from the interviews I did with women. There were some women who felt that being a mother was the thing that completed them and that they didn't need to do anything else. But many of those women also had social lives apart from their kids where they still did things for themselves, even if they, you know, it wasn't about having another job, but it was about doing something for themselves on a regular basis so that they felt they also had a life. Mm-hmm. And you also emphasize it's doing things for yourself and doing things for your for your marriage if you're in an intimate relationship. And you cited some interesting studies uh, that children do so much better when their parents are happy. You write, perhaps mm-hmm. it's time we realized that making our partnerships, and this is what you wrote, our top priority, I thought that was big, is what's best yeah. for our kids. If our kids benefit from a happy marriage, shouldn't we put our marriage first? Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that's going to get a, uh, some reaction. Um, and I don't mean abandoning your kids or only focusing on your partner, but you, you have to nurture all of your relationships, right? So many times we focus solely on our children, we neglect that other part of ourselves. I'm not talking about neglecting your partner because you're in a partnership for a reason, you get something out of that partnership as well. And a lot of moms talked about, you know, intimacy going away, like not holding hands or not like even hugging in the morning or not really focusing on something going on in each other's lives or something that's important to one another because you're so involved with your children. It's, if you're in a partnership and your children see that partnership every day, it is important that you nurture that partnership because you want them to feel that love and you want them, you also want to model what the kind of relationship that you want them to have later in life. So there are a lot of things that go into why nurturing your partnership is important for your needs and your companionship and your intimacy needs, but also for your children. Mm -hmm. Now you said, yes, even if there's a bomb in the center, how to have a kid and a life, it can be done, but it takes a lot of work. I'm curious to know for you personally, when you think of here are the the three biggest things I've done in my own life to say I'm going to have a kid and a life, this is the work I've committed to. What what are they? Um. Well, I the three biggest things I've done. I have created a village for myself, not just for my children. You know, I have. Um, I feel like I have a support network that helps me through tough times, through loss of a parent, 
through a tough pregnancy, through changes in jobs, through ups and downs in your marriage, you have to ha- you have to create a support ne- a supportive network so that you feel that you have someone or some people to lean on. And I created that for myself. And I think that's really important. Um, and not all these people have children. They're not all like mommy friends. You know, mom friends are incredibly important. And I write about that. But um, it's also good to nurture relationships with people who don't have children. And, and I feel like I, I have done that as well. I think the other thing is that I, I love my career. I love being a writer. And I didn't want to um, give that up. And, and sometimes I have to choose I have to choose what takes priority that day, right? Is it going to the soccer game or is it doing these interviews I need for this deadline I have for a story that's due? And it's okay that sometimes I have to choose work over the soccer game. I am there for my children 96.2% of the time, right? But when I have a work responsibility, that's also important to me as well. And I'm not embarrassed by that anymore. It used to be that I was kind of embarrassed that I would sometimes choose work over some kind of fam- family responsibility. But I am happy when I am writing. And so I admit that and I embrace that. And so I've created a work life for myself that I'm proud of. And I think the third is um, my relationship with my partner, my spouse. You know, we have been married now for 18 years. And um, we've kind of grown up together and maintaining that connection and putting energy and effort into maintaining that connection is important. And it's hard. It's not easy, especially with all the things we have going on, work, kids, you know, aging parents, those that kind of thing. But we take time to we make time for each other. And it's, you know, it's simple. It's like asking each other every day, like, so what what happened today? What anything crazy happened today? What's the latest gossip among your friends? Or what crazy thing happened at work? It's having conversations, it's um, communicating and um, caring for one another. So those three things are, 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 I wouldn't say it's a perfect balance. There's never a perfect balance, but to know when to give to those three things, I feel very proud of and I feel very happy about. You know, the first thing you mentioned, having your own village, not just a village for your kids, but for yourself, mm-hmm. and that the thing that surprised you the most from the interviews that you did was how alone so many moms felt. How did you go about creating this village? What are your recommendations for someone who's listening who doesn't have that? Yeah. So, and especially in the last year, it's been really hard for people, I think. But as the world opens up again, it, it really just involves putting yourself out there. Now, I was always growing up afraid of rejection. And it, it, I feel like it took a lot of, you know, maturing to not be so afraid of rejection and to feel like I could put myself out there. And um, so I would suggest meeting people. I met people at playgrounds. You know, I met people in my apartment building who had kids. I'd see someone who has a kid around the same age. And I'd say, hey, do you want to get coffee together and take the kids to the park. Um, I volunteered at um, church and at school. And and I'm not saying I got best friends out of all of these incidents. Some some of these people I don't talk to anymore. We just didn't vibe. We didn't click. But you have to put yourself out there. And I think another really important thing that I learned, in addition to meeting, actually meeting with moms in person, I joined lots of online mom groups. And 
that connection shocked me because they would reach out in the middle of the night, you know, upset about something and just needing a pat on the back or comforting words or encouraging words. And these communities are really strong. And sometimes you're like, is anyone in the New Jersey area would like to get together on Saturday at the park with the kids? It's, and people would say yes, and they'd meet, they'd go and meet up. Um, it's really, again, it just, it takes a lot of, it takes effort. It takes time and effort and putting yourself out there. But if you're lonely, I guarantee you there are a million other lonely people, parents who are looking for that same kind of connection. So um, it takes time and it takes effort. And you're going to have to have probably several meetings and interaction with someone to really give them a chance and know whether or not they're the right fit for you. But it's possible. You just have to like do it. And then the, the second point you made was making time and being willing at times to prioritize your work, your work in the world, your deadlines as a writer. And you said that you used to feel, I think you used the word embarrassed about that, that you were making that a priority. And I thought of the person who doesn't feel embarrassed, they feel guilty. They feel guilty about, let's just say, how much they love their work, how much it gives them, how fulfilling it is, and that they're choosing that at times. Uh, what would you say to that guilt that someone feels? You know, you have to grow into someone who is who understands that they like their work and it, and it fulfills an important part of who you are. And if that's the case, you should be proud of that. I mean, I actually talked to a mom. Her name's Gay. She's in the book, and um, she is a very high-powered attorney. And she was debating whether or not she should continue working because it's like, I feel so guilty. I love my job. I love my work, but I'm not seeing, am I not seeing my kids enough? Am I not giving them enough of me? And then one day her son was like, mommy, um, can boys be lawyers too? Because I think your job is so cool. (laughs) And then that made her realize that she is actually creating an amazing example for them. And, you know, and they, they were proud of her and they were happy that she was happy. Sometimes we beat ourselves up about with all these rules of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be as mothers. But the fact of the matter is there's no one right way to be a good parent. I mean, if there was and I had figured that out, I would write a book about that and <laughs> sell a gazillion copies. But there are there's what works for you and your family could be different from what works for another family. For Gay, her boy seeing her work and love what she does, that's when she realized she was doing the right thing, that she had made the right choice. And it was okay to be proud and interested and invested in her career and her family wasn't suffering because of it. So I think that you have to take a look at like at what you do and what it gives you, and then also what you give your children, and and know that, you know, they'll be fine, and it's okay for you to want that for yourself. Okay, I want to read uh, another quote from the book that stunned me, uh, and it goes exactly with what you're saying here. Here's what you write. Researchers say that a mom's satisfaction with her life is more important to a child's social and emotional skills than how much money she has, the amount of time she spends with them, or whether she is a working or stay-at-home mom. The point is your happiness matters. 
And I'll just say personally, if people get nothing else out of this podcast and have listened to this point, I think really getting this, how much our happiness matters and is such a big influence in the lives of the people we touch, our families' lives. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Your happiness matters. It, it absolutely does. And I think that, you know, happiness is going to have a different definition for every mom out there. Right. I talked to moms who um, did want to go back to work full time or who work crazy hours every week, but then they make sure they dedicate all their weekends or they never miss a recital or a play date or a game. You have to figure out what it is that makes you happy. I actually have like a, a questionnaire for moms about this. Like, how do you figure out what that is? Because sometimes I talk to a lot of moms who are like, well, I know I want something else. I know I need something else. I can't figure out what that is. Well, I have a bunch of questions that you should ask yourself to kind of help you weave through this, you know, this question. Like what, what, kind, what kind of questions? So some of the questions that can help you figure out what it is you want to do. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? What is your dream job? Other than your children, what fulfills you? What do you think you need to be happy? If you never tried to reach your goal, how would it feel? What do you think is holding you back? What can you do to get closer to your goal? What was your dream before you had children? If you could divide up your day in any way you wanted, what would it look like? Name three things you do for you and only you. What do you think? is your purpose in your family? What is your purpose beyond your family life? What made you most proud before you had kids? What change do you want to see in your life? So it's really about, you know, these questions are to spark, you know, a way of thinking about your life and what you're interested in and what you, what you may need to nurture another part of yourself. You know, because again, the answer is going to be different for everyone. And so we can't work toward having this kid in a life <laughs> without examining what our lives are like now and what we want to change in them. It seems like a lot of us were born into families where our mothers did everything for us. And they weren't concerned with this notion, at least they didn't speak to it about, for many people, I'm just saying this is a generalization, for, you know, about having a kid in a life. They were just there for their kids. So this is what was modeled for us. And it seems to me that really what you're describing in some way is a kind of cultural sea change that we're right in the middle of. And I, I wonder if you see it that way, that we can't mirror necessarily how we were raised depending on who we are, of course, but for many of us, yeah. I, I absolutely, I mean, I, at the start of um, my interviews for the book, I'd ask people, um, what was your mom like? Describe your mom. And so there were always these glowing adjectives, selfless, beautiful, kind, hardworking, um, you know, just all these, the way we often describe our mothers, right? And then I asked people to dig a little deeper. I said, well, don't talk about the way, um, th that aspect of your mom, but tell me what do you think she felt like at the end of the day? Or 
What do you think she did when you know no one was around? How do you think she felt when she finally got to sit down at the end of the day? And the responses were a little bit more nuanced. It was like, well, I think she was always tired because she just she did nothing but work to take care of us. Or, you know, I never really saw her do anything for herself. And then one woman said, you know, my mom wanted to go back to school. And I remember making her feel so guilty about it that she decided not to do it. And these, you know, we don't realize it, but what I was concerned about was that we learn how to function as mothers based on how we, the mothers that we saw growing up, right? We learn how to mother and nurture based on what we saw. And my fear was that we are repeating those patterns of being so selfless that we don't have time to nurture ourselves. And do we really want that? And I asked people like, if you have daughters, is that what you want for your daughters? Like, do you want to have children who feel as though their life is not supposed to include anything that kind of, that makes them feel happy outside of family life. Don't you want people, don't you want your children to feel more complete or whole and fulfilled? And, uh, and the answer, of course, was yes. But yeah, we do model what we see and what we learn. I think that's probably a big problem is that we learn from an early age that moms are self-sacrificing and you know, love unconditionally, of course, um, and their main priority and their only priority is taking care of their family. And while taking care of your family is the most important priority you can have, it doesn't have to be your only one. You know, being happy and fulfilled and being a good mom are mutually exclusive. Now, one thing I learned in How to Have a Kid and a Life, I didn't realize this was going on, is something you described as mommy wars. <laughs> that uh, there's uh, these wars going on between stay-at-home moms versus working moms. I didn't realize this. Tell me, how did you learn about the mommy wars and what did you discover about this and how do we make peace? Well, you know, the mommy wars have always been characterized as stay-at-home versus working. Like that is something that I have read about for years. I've written about it before. I've talked to a lot of moms about it. But what I find in 21st century parenting is that it's not just stay-at-home versus working. It is every point of difference becomes um, a part of the mommy wars, right? It's breast or bottle. It's organ all organic or, or not organic. It's baby wearing versus not. It's helicopter uh, parenting um, versus a more hands-off approach. So what I found is that, you know, it's we're in this competition. It's like this mothering Olympics. Who's going to be the best? Who? <laughs> Who um, who's going to come out on top? And and that kind of pits mothers against each other in uh, in a lot of circumstances. Like I was talking to a mom who she joined a mom group, and all the moms made their own organic baby food. And she was thinking, oh my god, they're going to kick me out of this group, or they're not going to talk to me if I don't make my own baby food. So she would buy baby food from the grocery store and put it in her home containers. <laughs> So that no one knew that she was feeding her baby store-bought food. But it's this idea that, you know, there's this, there, there are all these different philosophies and it kind of pits mothers against each other. And I think it's because 
the, if there's this idea that if you're doing something different than I'm doing, then that suggests I'm making the wrong decision. And no one wants to be wrong when it comes to parenting their child. And so I, I think that the mommy wars have now evolved to include all of these things that people do differently as parents. I mean, I don't understand why we just can't accept that. This person feeds her kid all organic food. I'm gonna, once in a while gonna get my kids some fries from someplace and that's okay. Like we can coexist and be fine. Or if I don't breastfeed for a year and I give my kid a bottle, that's also okay. You know, I think that the mommy wars are, are continue to exist because we can't accept people's different choices when it comes to parenting. Mm -hmm. Something uh, I read in How to Have a Kid and a Life that got my attention that I didn't, I hadn't really thought about that I think relates to this is you write, nothing will make you more insecure than motherhood and the endless array of choices you have to make in order to give your child the best care possible. So if you're really insecure, it's more likely that you'll be in this compare and attack because you don't have your own ground. And I, I wonder if you can talk more about that because this whole notion, I mean, we can learn from each other. We don't have to tear each other down because of differences. How women can break out of that comparing mind. And as you say, move more to just an acceptance of difference and feel their own security, feel their own ground. It really does take, I mean, it, it, you have, we have to start thinking of our motherhood choices as our own choices and someone has their choice, but that has no, that's not making a judgment on my own choice, right? We, we have to start looking, stop looking at, um, at, ourselves and comparing ourselves or um i'm trying to think of a better way to explain this but it's it's as though just because someone does something different doesn't mean they're saying what you're doing is wrong and it doesn't mean that your child's going to turn out worse or not going to be as healthy or smart or successful later in life it really boils down to us accepting other people's choices and they don't have to mirror our own can you give me an example from your own awareness of yourself of where you had a, a place where you weren't accepting other people's choices and how you came to have a more accepting view yeah well um one that comes to mind immediately is breastfeeding. <laughs> breastfeeding was torturous for me with both children. And I just couldn't understand what was so hard. Like I just, and I was, not only was it just hard to get them to latch, I just was a poor producer of milk. Like I would pump for an hour and get like two ounces. <laughs> it was torture. And I, um, but I tried, right? And what I noticed is that when I would meet someone who breastfed for like two years, I just would be like, and initially I'd be judgmental. I'd be like, why, why would you breastfeed someone who like a chew steak? Like, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, or I couldn't just wrap my head around that choice. And so I noticed that I was being judgmental, but I was not being judgmental because they were making a wrong choice. I was judgmental because it was something I couldn't do and I felt insecure about it. Right. I wanted to breastfeed for longer. It just didn't work out for me. I, I, for whatever reason, my body would not cooperate with what I wanted to do. And so I think that I, because I was so insecure about it, I made these assumptions in my head or I would um, 
that was definitely something that I, I I'm not proud of feeling that way initially, but when I, when I thought about it and I reflected about it, it was it, the person, you know, I met a woman, I was at a yoga retreat and I met a woman who had breastfed till her child was five. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, that's crazy. I can't believe she did that. But then I'm thinking like, I'm thinking that because I can't do it. Like, why can't she do that? So I think that sometimes, you know, our own experiences dictate how we react to things. And we have to kind of step back and be like, that works for their family. That doesn't work for mine, but that works for their family and that's okay. Could you uh, recommend just to tie a little bow on this for somebody who has a judgment about like that parent works all the time or that parent stays home till they're bored crazy or that mom does X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. Like they, whatever, like your uh, breastfeeding judgment, who knows what they might mm-hmm. come up with. How do they work with that skillfully internally? Right. Well, one of the things that you have to do is you have to think about how you want to be treated right? You should really think about the way you want to be treated by other people that you interact with. And if, you know, and you also have to think about where this judgment comes from. Does it come from a place of insecurity? Are you angry about it because of something that happened to you long ago or something that you're experiencing right now? So you really, I think before you say something mean in your head or even out loud or think something negative about another parent and their parenting choice, you really should think about how, number one, how you want to be treated, but also where's this coming from? And is this, is this a fair thing for you to do? And what are you getting out of making this snap judgment or um, a nasty comment or um, not really giving this person the benefit of the doubt? So it really requ- it requires self-reflection, but you're going to be a lot happier and you're going to be a better person if you do, if you take that moment for yourself. Now, Erica, in your profession as a, a writer and a journalist, you went to something called the Not Mom Summit, yes. a safe space for child-free women. Yes. So uh, talk about different choices, different paths. Uh, what did you learn going to the Not Mom Summit and covering that story? You know, I loved going to that summit. It was really fascinating. It was one of the first times where I was hoping no one knew I was a mom <laughs> because everyone was just so happy to be together. There was so much fellowship. And what I learned was that people who are child free, whether by choice or by chance, experience a lot of hostility from the world. You know, people question their choice not to have children or make them feel as though their lives aren't complete or they're excluded from things within their family or their friendship groups because they don't have kids. And I just, it just really kind of brought home for me how we unintentionally can make people feel like other or not as good or um, that their choices are not as valid. And why isn't that okay? Like, why isn't it okay not to have children? You know, um, why can't you be fulfilled by a life without going through the milestones of potty training and dating teenage acne and getting into college and all of those things? Like, why does that have to be the thing that defines your life or makes you the most fulfilled? And meeting with these women was just really fascinating. There were lots of um, uh, 
panels and breakout meetings about living child-free. And what I found what was really interesting is that um, they just wanted to feel that their choice was respected and valid. And I knew I wanted to write about that as soon as I, I mean, the first day I knew I was gonna have to write about this because I think it's like not a choice that is it, it's a choice that's not always respected. And even when I was leaving, my husband's like, why would they have a conference to celebrate that? And I, <laughs> this is why, because you're asking that question is the reason why they, they need a conference because it's okay to celebrate having, uh, to make a choice that's different. Not everyone needs to go to a conference to feel this kind of connection or feel like their choice is valid or, va or needs that validation. But a lot of these women did. And I loved being around around that kind of supportive network of women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to share uh, personally for a moment, because there's a point I want to make about it. In my uh, decision to uh, not have children, to be child-free, I know the hardest part was sharing that with my mom and feeling her disappointment that I wouldn't produce grandchildren for her and that she wouldn't have that. So there's this sense of disappointing other people that I had to deal with. And so I think having this kind of acceptance, and this is the point I wanna to get to here, it's kind of like no matter what we choose, there's the part unlived. Mm -hmm. You know, if we uh, choose to be a stay-at-home mom, there's something unlived. By being a mom that commits to their professional life, there's something that to grieve that we're not getting to do. If we choose not to have children, even if it's clear to us that that's our path, there's something still unlived. And I wonder what you think about that, this like needing to accept uh, the trade-offs that each of us decide when we make, you know, this whole idea, you can have it all. Whenever people say that, I'm like, uh-uh, I can have this, which means I'm not going to have that. And that's okay. I'm making choices. So I wonder what your sense is of that. Well, I think that, I think, first of all, when I think we need to start looking at women's choices as being okay, whatever choice that they make. Right. I, I, don't think it's fair that whatever, you know, there are people who don't have children who who judge people with children. I remember interviewing some women who during the pandemic who felt that the women who didn't have children were not sympathetic to what they were going through at home trying to work with their children around, right? So everyone, you know, it's it's sometimes the vitriol can go both ways. It's not like any any one group is innocent in, in that. But I think what we need to start doing is being more accepting of people's choices, even when they we feel they go against the grain or they're not what we would do. And, and also we have to know when we make a choice, we have to live with that choice, right? Uh, one woman I interviewed said that she was, she was not gonna have children. Her and her husband, she joked that they had wrote it into their vows. They did not want children. And then her mother gave her so much pressure and kept saying, well, who are you gonna spend Christmas with? Who's gonna like, who's, who are you gonna spend the holidays with when you get old? And, and then they started wondering, well, maybe we should have kids. You know, um, and then I talked to people who had no, have no kids, don't want kids and are completely comfortable with that decision. They know that their holidays will be like hanging out with their friends who do have kids or maybe with a niece or nephew. and they have come to a peace with that decision. I think that no matter what your choice is, you do have to come to develop a sense of peace about how you've chosen to live your life. And 
really embraced that this was the right life for you. I think that's one of that's a hard thing to do for some people, but it's an important thing to do. I think as we kind of evolve in our, into our life choices, and there and you're right, there's no way to have it all. I I can't even believe that phrases even exist. <laughs> there's no one has it all, no matter what you've chosen. I I've I've yet to meet a woman on this planet that has it all. I think that's just very sobering just to hear that uh, from you as someone who's been to so many of these mom meetups and interviewed so many mothers just to have that myth dispelled. All right, Erica, as a final question here, our program's called Insights at the Edge. And I'm always curious what someone's current edge is. You could say their growth edge or learning edge. When it comes to having a kid and a life at the same time, what would you say still is your edge right now? What's the edge you're working on? Um, my edge is embracing how I continue to transform. I am constantly changing and constantly growing and constantly learning something new. And I didn't think that that would happen for about my entire life, but my work and also being a parent, being a professional, being a woman, one thing I have learned is that I have to be ready for a transformation and a constant evolution in who I am and who I, what I want and who I need to be. So it's just continuing to change and accept that and grow and just flow with the times. I need to, I need to keep it flowing. <laughs> I've been speaking with Erica Suter. She's the author of the new book, How to Have a Kid and a Life, A Survival Guide, a beautiful book that uh, really, I think all, all mothers and parents will be inspired by the research she's put together that really helps us clarify our own priorities and happiness for ourselves and for our families. Gorgeous book, Erica. Congratulations. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstreet.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world.